Yeah, welcome along to episode 42 of the podcast today. Um, it's Tim Wilshire, obviously. It's the Tuesday, the 16th of April 2019. We've got a returning guest, uh, which uh, his podcast number 23, I think it is, uh, leading the way in number of listens. So thought I'd get him back in also with his accomplice this time. So welcome along, Simon Presley and uh, Brian Lochnan from uh, Propertyology. Hi, Tim. Thanks for having us, Tim. Excellent. So thanks for coming back. Uh, obviously, you must have enjoyed it the first time, uh, Simon, to want to come back and do it again so quickly. So thank you very much. Uh, it's, it's, it's great to have you in the office again. No, my pleasure. Always um, good to talk about property. Definitely. But uh, I guess what we can talk about just briefly to start off with, mate, you were correct about the Brisbane Lions, weren't you? <laughs> don't, get him, don't get him started. <laughs> no, the Brisbane Lions won their first three games uh, looking really, really good. Um, so things are probably on the up there for Brisbane Lions. A little bit of a hiccup against Essendon, but um, yeah, I'm liking what I'm seeing, that's for sure. Uh, it certainly is a very exciting time, a very long time coming. 2009 was the last time we had a decent year, but it's fair to say it's been interesting in the office. Um, Brian loves AFL as well, and he's a Collingwood fan, and I'm a Lions fan, and we play each other this week. So Oh, so um, Collingwood against the Lions this week. Uh, well, it sounds like we're going to have our first sellout at the Gabba in... Since 2009, so who's the betting favourite? Do you know, is it at, at, it's at the Gabba? So who's the betting favourite? I don't know. I think I think Collingwood are, but yeah, not by much. There'd be a pretty good game then. So what, which day is that on? Thursday night. Thursday night, Easter Thursday. Mm. So. Sure, that's my birthday, yeah. but I'll be in Tokyo. So, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, obviously, what what you guys do, buyers agents, extraordinaire, extraordinaires, obviously cover the whole of us of Australia, as we sort of spoke about last time. Um, I guess as a follow-up from the last uh, podcast, what sort of anything sort of changed uh, greatly in the last couple of months from your perspective in in the property market space at all, Simon? Uh, probably a couple of uh, key things at a, at a national level. Obviously, the debate around negative gearing and capital gains tax, um, you know, is really heated up as we get closer to the election date. There's all sorts of speculation um, about that. Um, I think the other change, which is a good change, um, last time we were here, Tim, talking about the impact that credit tightening is having on property markets nationally. Um, whilst there's still a long way to go, we have seen signs over the last four to six weeks that um, that curve's starting to turn in the favour of um, responsible and sensible lending. There's still a lot of people who are worthy of a loan approval but aren't getting it, um, but it's heading in the right direction. Yeah, no worries at all. I mean, that that's certainly something I've seen as well, um, is that it, it's certainly, with the whole Royal Commission, uh, the Banking Royal Commission in particular, certainly a bit of a tide on lending, but the banks are trying to get through the other end and say, look, we need to keep doing business here. We need to make sure we are lending, but we're obviously going to still put people through the ringer, but we're going to do what we can to get, you know, get the good clients, get those types of, uh, you know, those uh, prudent, uh, you know, clients of the banks and uh, people that obviously that look like they've got a great capacity it's all about serviceability and once they see serviceability once they see a bit of an asset base it sort of certainly lessens the risk uh, regardless uh, what do you think about the whole Royal Commission uh, Brian um, yeah look as as we've seen you know over the last you know, probably six 12 months now there's been a, a heavy tightening on that 
policy, as we've just said. But um, I think what's important to remember is that banks, they have a, a responsibility to, um, to, I suppose, responsible lending. Um, they've also got a responsibility to their shareholders to, to make profits. Um, and the way they make profits is by lending money. So um, it's not it's not going to stay this way forever. Um, and it's a, a matter of the, the right clients, you know, putting the right information and, and understanding that, look, it might take you an extra couple of weeks to get that pre-approval or to get that approval, but um, jumping through the hoops you need to, to to get everything done. Yeah, so excellent. So, Brian, a bit about your background. Where were you born? Where did, where did you come from? Uh, I was born born in Brisbane, um, spent my very early years in Brisbane, but then spent a, um, a lot of time growing up down on the mid-north coast of New South Wales, down Coffs Harbour, um, just north of Coffs Harbour, and then, uh, yeah, came back to Brisbane for my high schooling years and, and my uni days. Um, where I did a Bachelor of Property Economics at QUT. Um, originally, I was, I suppose I had the, the vision of becoming a, a property valuer, um, but uh, steered away from that and, and fell into uh, commercial lending, actually. So I spent um, almost 12 years in a couple of the, the big majors here in Brisbane doing um, commercial and, and finance for, um, yeah, predominantly business and, and commercial lending, but a little bit of um, home lending as well. Um, and then, yeah, I've been, been with Propertyology just over five years now. So, yeah, enjoying it. Excellent. That's a great background. QUT, uh, you know, very well-known uh, university here in Queensland and very, very good on a scale worldwide uh, and does the business uh, cycle correct. Um, you know, real-world experience is their, their motto. Um, certainly it always looks good, uh, the QUT, when you see, you know, a bit of paper there uh, and you've got, um, you know, you obviously got your economics and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but, and then obviously some great experience in the bank. Um, and I guess what uh, was the how you sort of came across property knowledge? You, were you putting the job out there for application, and he applied? That's when you first met, or how did it all come about? That's how it came about. It is a while ago now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I, I actually got um, got a call. So uh, I'd left one bank and and we had spent about two years at uh, ANZ. Um, and I'd, I'd obviously put some details down with a, um, a recruiter when I was in between the jobs a couple of years earlier. Um, and then, yeah, just got a, got a bit of a, a call, phone call out of the, out of the blue and said that um, he was working with uh, a gentleman who had this buyer's agency business um, five years ago. You know, buyer's agents were sort of even less known than they are today. Um, and I sort of, yeah, they, they were like, oh, do you want to have a bit of a chat? Um, and we sat down and, and, yeah, spoke for for quite a few hours, I think it was, and on a couple of occasions. And yeah, it was. Um, I think the economic background, um, property was always something that um, interested me from a, from a, an early age, even through my high schooling to days. I was interested in property, and um, and that's I suppose what led to the property economics degree and um, into commercial lending. Um, probably stayed in banking a bit longer than I originally anticipated, um, but yeah, when the opportunity came along, I was I was certainly keen to, to check it out more. North side or south side, uh, boy? Uh, west. West. Yeah. So where's that? That's um, at Victory Pocket at the moment. But yep. uh, yeah, I have spent, um, I suppose, uh, through uni and, and growing up, you know, Turingi and Rapilli, Tawong, St. Lucia, and that, that sort of area. Yeah. Okay. So you would have seen a lot of, um, I guess, a lot of involvement, you know, in Brisbane, you know, a lot of growth over the period of your life then, being here a lot of the... A lot of the time and going through those sort of processes. Yeah, absolutely, and and even you know my my much younger days, I was sort of out out Bell Bowery way, so I've always been on that western mm. suburbs, um, and yeah, even even just that sort of area of Brisbane has evolved. You know, even in the last ten years, it's it's evolved and um, is continually evolving. But um, that's not to say that you know that everywhere mm. in Brisbane is is doing exactly the same. Mm. Uh, so, as a youngster, what sort of sports were you into? Did you 
Yeah, cricket, cricket, and Aussie rules are my two my yep. two passions. Yep. Um, yeah, certainly the Aussie rules, and um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, I'm not the um, the one that's got my head between my legs on uh, on Tuesday when we get back to the office trying to hide from Simon and his, his <laughs> Brisbane Lions scarf. But we'll we'll see how we go. But uh, yeah, certainly cricket and cricket and Aussie rules. And what was about Collingwood? What sort of got you in behind them as a team? Is it was it a family thing? Or? Yeah, it's it's a West family. You know, yeah. uh, you're born into it. So yeah. my um, dad my, was a Richmond supporter, and so your dad was a Collingwood. Supporter. Yeah, my my dad. And all his family are, are from Melbourne originally, and, and they're all all um, yeah, passionate uh, black and white supporters. So. Yeah, so obviously five years or just over five years ago, you guys came together, um, and obviously, I mean, Simon had sort of set the platform by that stage. He'd sort of done started. There's a lot of research that was done. Um, came up with the concept uh, maybe closer to ten years ago. I guess it was yeah, yeah. sort of, yeah, some of that. when the concept came about. Very catchy sort of name very good logo design with propertyology that was been there for a long time now um, so all those sort of things in place and then uh, obviously needing to get somebody else to sort of uh, to bring in you know a, a complementary skill set to the business which is what you've provided um, you're you obviously sort of hit the ground running from what I understand uh, it, tell me about the early, the first twelve months, I guess, working for Propertyology. What you got up to, what you learnt, that sort of thing. Yeah, it was uh, it was probably a much steeper learning curve than even I was expecting. You know, after our initial discussions, um, obviously the way that we study property markets, literally across the country, and it's not just about um, you know investing where we live or where a, a particular client lives. It's about understanding what drives property markets and and what makes a good investment. Um, so I think that from even from from knowing a little bit about propertyology, um, that first year, you know, getting a, a better understanding of well, what actually does drive property markets, and um, you know, what should we be looking for, and, and how do you you know manage to, to buy properties in locations where you're physically not on the ground 24 hours a day. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a steep learning curve, um, but yeah, enjoyed it, and yeah, it was five years ago. And obviously, looking forward to the next five. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> That's the way it is. So, I guess the biggest thing you would learn, though, in those early years, I mean, obviously, it's a lot different to what you're used to. Um, did you feel like you had to put in a lot of lot of work to sort of get get a grip on what you wanted to achieve in the role? I mean, did you feel like you're you said you seem like a motivated sort of guy that sort of wants to you know achieve something and and leave a bit of a bit of your own mark yeah absolutely i think um a big and simon can correct me if i'm wrong here but um a big part of bringing myself into the business was um simon had sort of built the business to a point where he had all these different hats on um and literally to to continue the business growing you know realized that he needed to take couple of these hats off and, and couldn't just keep doing everything himself um, so my my day-to-day role is, is around heading up that the buyer's agent team um, and physically I suppose dealing with clients every single day uh, and helping them identify the right property on the right street so um, I'm talking with clients every day I'm, I'm looking for properties I'm speaking with sales agents um, and even just that relationship building you know not not just five years ago but today you know mm. it's, it takes a lot of time um, building relationships with sales agents to mm. to then ensure that you know when we do contact a, a sales agent uh, we're not just like you know Joe Bloggs, who's walked in off the street, um, they know who we are, uh, and that gives our clients a much better opportunity of, of securing a property at a, at a hopefully a better price. Mm. So certainly some relationships with various municipal of real estate agents 
has been a fairly key sort of thing, I guess, for this business. It had to be really to be in order to be able to foster, especially where you want to buy, the areas that you found are good. Um, very important to have those sort of relationships and being able to use that to negotiate and get the best outcome for the clients. Yeah, definitely, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, and and obviously, lots of different areas that you sort of that propertyology is invested in with their clients over you know over the last ten years. It's been um, certainly a lot. There's been some obviously quite a lot of regional type investments, uh, investments in capital cities as well. Obviously, in grow, you know areas that are growing, and you, have, and you obviously have your list. So what's tell me I guess a couple of a couple of things you don't have to tell me every secret but some of the things that are on the list of what a property must have in order for it to to be considered I guess um, oh look, I think I think firstly it's it's more about the the location. So understanding, um, and I think you might have spoken about this with Simon last time about the the economics and the um, the fundamentals of a particular location. So yep. um, it's it's less about well, is it on the north side of Brisbane or the south side of Brisbane, or is it on um, you know which pocket of town is it in? Um, that is important, but first and foremost, it's about understanding the actual um, economics of a particular location um, and the the fundamentals of that location. Um, when we then start drilling down to, I suppose, the specific property, um, I'd say that the most important thing is something that is going to appeal to the majority of the demographic in that location. So um, it's not about what you or I would live in. Um, no, it's, it's, it's investment. Yeah, well, and but it's about the demographic in that location. So um, you know, if it's a um, a location where the general demographic is, you know, mum and dad and two and a half kids and a, a boat or a caravan, um, we'll probably don't go and buy a two bedroom apartment. You know. If that's the um, the majority of the demographic aren't going to want a two bedroom apartment. They're going to want a three or four bedroom house. Then that's the style of property you should be looking for. Um, there's plenty of other locations in Australia though where um, the house probably isn't the right investment. Um, you know, it might be an elder or an older demographic where um, you know the kids have moved out. Um, people are looking to downsize. It could be a younger demographic where uh, there's a young professional couple. And again, they don't want the big backyard. They don't want all the maintenance that comes with a four bedroom house. Uh, so in those locations, it might be a, a two or three bedroom apartment or townhouse mm. that's actually going to perform better. Mm. But obviously, little things like yeah, yeah, I notice I read articles that you guys have written before about okay, the, if the property's got a granny flat, avoid it. Mm. Um, so little things like the, the granny flat, that's that's not a good idea. Um, and you've obviously you can you can read up as to why that's not a good idea. Um, that's that's obviously sort of one thing that comes to mind. Sometimes if you're on the main road, that can be good or bad, but bad a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, so those sort of fundamentals as well. Obviously, you've got little boxes that you've got to tick. You've got to have, you know, make sure you've got parking or you know all the usual sort of stuff that you'd the property would need to to have to sort of be attractive and have that have that sort of value. With, just yeah, little well, things you, like that are still pretty important, aren't they? It is. We use the analogy sometimes um, comparing property to, to food. It's a subjective thing. Um, where we choose to live sh- should be about what we personally like. But where we choose to invest, if we're not conscious of it, Tim, um, we can get caught up too much in picking an individual asset based on our um, uh, palette. But we're, if we're not living in it, that's, that's irrelevant. Now, you and I could go to the same restaurant and you know you, you might order a steak and I might order a chicken neither of us are right or wrong mm. someone might like blue someone might like pink someone might like yellow there's nothing yep. right or wrong about that either um, so with property we're looking for what we call the meat and potatoes property um, that's something that's going to appeal to the masses um, down the track when the investor's looking to sell 
if we've bought an asset that could appeal to a first home buyer, an investor, um, somebody who wants to renovate, um, somebody who might be um, looking to buy that property because it's in a good location and but they want to do an expansion for a bigger family or whatever, we've got a much bigger buyer pool at that time. Um, and that means more buyers, more competition, more price growth. So we don't want anything specialised and the granny flat example that you used is is that there. Not that many people want to buy a property that's got a big concrete you know, monstrosity sitting in the corner somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and obviously, what of what, what you, if you sort of follow propertyology, you find out that uh, you know the, the winning you guys win quite a lot of awards over the years. Um, so, you've, buyers agent of the year in Queensland, buyers of the agent of the year in Australia, um, and more recently, I guess Brian, I saw that you won an award uh, for being. I think it was the buyer's agent of year in Australia. Was no, it Queensland? Queensland, Queensland was yes. it? Okay. And I saw that you're up against four or five other people. So tell me about, just from your experience um, winning that award, how, 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 you, you, how that sort of process went um, and what was it like to win something like that and, and, uh, what, how do you, and I guess your reflection. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, it's, uh, it's a long process. Um, there's a, a written application and then there's a, an interview. Once they shortlist the finalists, um, they then yeah they do an interview. And I think the interview off the top of my head from, from memory is about 45 minutes or, or close to an hour, um, which asks a, a lot of questions. Um, it's the, the RIQ Awards for Excellence. Um, and I think one of the, the biggest things for me and, and one of the prouder things, I suppose, about winning the award is that it's not based on figures. So it's got nothing to do with numbers. It's got nothing to do with the number of properties properties you buy um, or the the value of the properties you buy, it is about, um, I suppose, the processes you go through um, and awarding exactly that excellence um, under the uh, the RRQ banner, which is, um, yeah, which is fantastic. Um, I think that I'm, I'm pretty biased here, but I, I think we've got some of the the best buyers agents in the country here in Brisbane, um, and you know it was a it was a very talented finalist list. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a bit of a shock to me on the night. Um, and if anyone's anyone's seen the video, it was uh, yeah it was a bit of a shock, but uh, no, it was a, a pleasant uh, pleasant surprise and yeah, very very uh, honoured to have accepted it. Do you secretly know or not? No, 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 no one knows. Um, Brian's undersold himself a bit there, though. He's uh, he's been finalists, um, I think, four consecutive years. So, yeah. um, you know, excellence is something that most of us aspire to in our chosen yeah. profession. But sustained excellence is uh, is a different level again. And you know, there was no prouder people in the room the night than than all of us sitting at the table. Yeah, excellent. As I remember, I did see the video footage, and it sort of looked like okay, well, we it looked like it was sort of pre-planned. I don't know, just. <laughs> Had that sort of feeling about it, but he's, he's had the he's had the recorder running the last three years in a row. So it's uh, <laughs> he, yeah, well, there you go. Finally, you got to finally got to post one. Yeah, fair enough. I'll I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. But we're very well well done for uh, those awards, and you know, obviously, um, there's a reason that you guys get the awards, and that's because of the processes you put in, the time that you actually put into this, and trying to get get a, a footprint. For you know, for buyers agents, because the foot without you guys, the footprint's just not there as much. Um, you said there's lots of other uh, buyers agents, um, good ones in Brisbane that don't work for Propertyology, correct? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I don't sort of know too much about them. So, how do they promote themselves? I mean, what? Obviously, you know them because you're in the industry. Um, what do they do right? Um, do they need to promote themselves better? What What would anything you'd sort of 
No, look, I, I think that um, something that um, particularly here in Brisbane um, amongst the buyers agents that we have here in Brisbane is that we all have, I suppose, different um, different specialties to a degree. Um, you know, where we focus solely on investors, so we don't don't buy the family home at all for any of our clients. Um, that's not a service that we sort of provide and, and um, you know, I can talk a lot more about that. But um, there are plenty of other buyers agents in Brisbane who focus on the sub $500,000 market. There are plenty of buyers agents in, in Brisbane who focus on the, you know, over a million dollar market. Now, um, whether that's that's right or wrong, that's up for the individual consumer to, to work out what they want and what they need. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's more about in you know having having a variety um, and understanding what their individual markets are and, and who they're looking to appeal to. And obviously, you, you guys do appeal to being affordable, um, the affordable market as well. You obviously you're saying the pro, you know we'd we'd prefer that the price is below half a million, um, which which does allow more diversification. Obviously, you can pick different properties or properties with shares a lot better if you've got the lower value of um, property that's going to go up in value and get a you know five or more percent yield um, so do you think the where you see propertyology going in the future do you think the mantra is going to consistently stay that the same you don't you're not going to make any sort of big changes or do you feel like you, you know there might be something where you say where we might have to change something major at some point uh, the price point won't change um, because at formal studies we've done, you know, looking at Australian property market history, one of the uh, the key elements for price growth is affordability. Mm. And, and again, I'll use the same analogy I said earlier: the meat and potatoes property. Yep. There are plenty of people who want the luxury home, but that's that's an aspiration. But uh, if if you can't afford it, there is actually no demand for that. Exactly. Um, so you know, about ninety-seven percent of the Australian population is middle class. Mm. So you know, whilst we all live in a different property in a different city. Um, the levels of, afford- of affordability for the masses mm. um, are going to always be in that sort of, on today's dollars, 300000 to, you know, 500000 550000 something like that. So it's not to say that um, somebody buys a luxury home t- today, it won't be worth a lot more in years to come. Everything mm. will be worth a lot more in years to come. But there's always going to be a lot more competition for the affordable asset class. So um, that's very deliberate part of our strategy in, in picking properties uh, well, firstly, picking cities where the median house price is very affordable. So we're not someone who's going to be investing in the Sydney's and Melbournes. Um, and then individual properties within that that are that meat and potatoes property. Mm. I mean, if, you th- if you're sort of making um, conscious sort of research on where you think property prices are going in the future, obviously you can see what's happened in the past. The, the past is there. Um, you know, you, you, we're looking at uh, properties that that are purchased in the 90s, um, mid-90s for 100000 and getting four times that at the moment. Um, but if you're purchasing a property now, we're not, gonna, we're not likely to get four times that in, in 25 years' time, are we? Or are we? It's hard to say. Um, you know, I would have thought back in the 90s if we said, you know, um, uh, 20 years from now, probably we would have gone up by four times. Most of us probably would have thought that's impossible. It couldn't happen. Mm. Could have, but I'd say the price of money is going to have a big influence on that. Yes. You know, if interest rates, um, you know, get up to eight, nine, ten percent in in years to come, obviously, you know, uh, unless our wages go up um, mm. through the roof, you know, uh, a lot of people aren't going to be able to afford that sort of mortgage. So that will always have a big say in things. Yeah. What do you think about that, Brian? Do you think about the 
what's happened in the past and what's going to happen in the future? Yeah, I think um, anyone that's, whether you're investing in shares, whether you're investing in property, um, you are crystal ball gazing to a degree. You know, no one can guarantee you anything. And if, if someone tries to guarantee you that prices are going to double or prices are going to triple, um, for me, I'd be running as far away as possible. Um, all we can do, I suppose, is, is look at all of the information that is available to yeah. us today. Um, understanding, more, more important than under, looking at well, what's happened in the past is understanding, well, why? Has that happened in the past? So um, just because a certain market has performed well in the past doesn't mean it's going to perform well in the future. Um, and similarly, just because a, a market's performed poorly in the past doesn't mean it's going to perform poorly in the future. But um, it's about understanding, well, why have markets performed well? Why have markets performed poorly? Uh, and then looking at locations today. And I suppose that's what, you know, we, we've spent years and years and hundreds of thousands of dollars researching property markets all around the country um, to try and get that understanding so that, uh, you know, we're not just helping people buy in Brisbane because it's where we happen to live or um, in Sydney or Melbourne because it's where they happen to live. It's, it's about understanding that um, like a, an astute share investor, um, we've got this whole country called Australia that we can invest in. Something we probably didn't really cover in the first um, podcast, but I'm just bringing it up now while I'm, while I'm thinking about it. Otherwise, you, sometimes you forget things. But your, your, your model is a fee-for-service model. Yeah. Okay, So a fee-for-service model... And it's always been that way, hasn't it? It's always yeah. been a fee-for-service model. Um, what I guess when you and you would see this over the last ten years. What sort of, you know, what's the client acceptance of a fee-for-service model for buying a property? Is it something they they just accept that's how it is, and they they see the value, they they know what they're going to get, and they get good results. Um, or is there some sort of mantra? Is is it the occasional client that doesn't see it that way? Um, it's an interesting concept, I guess, because and something you were talking about earlier about the popularity of buyers agents. Um, I think the industry, you know, by and large, have done a really poor job at communicating to the Australian public that the profession actually exists. There's lots of Australians, you know, the term buyers agent means absolutely nothing to them. And, I, and I'll admit personally, 15 years ago, it meant nothing to me either. Um, most of us have bought a, a property in, at some stage in our life, but what we've done is we've, you know, the traditional way we've looked at, you know, Done internets research, or, you yeah. know, back in back in the day, look at the newspaper, at, you know, the open homes, and we go, we go looking at properties, but where um, our questions are answered by the Ray White's L.J. Hookers of the world, aren't they? Yeah. And what's uh, I mean, we go through a process, we end up buying a property. So there's no fee that the buyers paid there, but they assume that the person they've spoken to and answered all those questions, the Ray White's LJ Hookers is working for them, but they're not. No. They're working for the owner. So the person paying the fee there is the vendor or the seller mm. of the property. So if you think about it, um, you know, for most people, the single uh, most expensive acquisition they'll ever make in their life, whether it's the family home or investment property, mm. and they're doing it as a complete DIY with how much experience. You know, mm. The average person buys a property once every seven to 10 years. So they've got very little experience, uh, no one representing them. Um, so that's really the value proposition of a buyer's agent. And like like all um, professional services, you know, whether it's accounting, whether it's uh, medical, whether it's legal, um, the practitioner um, charges a fee for their service. But there is, a, I guess, a, a consultation process that a buyer's agent needs to go through with a member of the public to explain the value proposition there. Yeah. So, uh, so what do you what do you think about the whole fee for service? One? Did, you, did you like that sort of when you when you're sort of first meeting Simon and he explained it, how the system works and you said, well, I, I, 
this this makes sense for me as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, there's there's plenty of different um, service and, and fee models out there um, amongst any any service provider and, and buyers agents included. Um, there can be the the percentage based or the the tiered sort of systems um, around you know certain fee for a, a certain up to a certain price point. Um, I think what what we uh, have always um, reiterated to clients is um, with your percentage base. Well, part of my job is to try and negotiate the lowest possible price for a client you know I'm, I'm negotiating against a sales agent to draw that price down for you and um, how hard am I really going to negotiate if, if every time I go back to the, the sales agent I'm actually doing myself out of out of a, a fee sort of thing um, and similarly with the the tiered system um, there's no more or less work for me whether a property's priced at $500,000 or priced at $250,000 um, we go through exactly the same yeah, process yeah. Um, so there's, there's no more or less work if, if anything there's probably more work involved in a a lower priced property um, because there is more competition because more people can afford it. So um, I often find that I have to negotiate harder um, for those lower priced properties. So um, the fee for service, it's a, it, it is the flat fee and um, we, as Simon said, there's a, an extensive consultation process we go through with every client um, and it's about making them understand this is the process we're going to take them through, um, understanding their goals and their objectives um, and, and moving forward from there. Yeah. <clears throat> and I guess just while I'm, while I'm on a few different uh, thought patterns, I guess, um, this recently is the last couple of days, recently is the last couple of days, there's been somebody out there that's uh, bad-mouthed a little bit of our profession, uh, as in accountants and tax agents, right. but also bad-mouthed real estate agents at the same time. I'm not sure you know who I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I think I might, yeah. <laughs> so what do you think about that, about... You know, in an election campaign, you're sort of out there, and you're sort of, you sort of, you're getting a few people offside, a few different industries offside. Um, yeah, what 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 do you think of when when you hear that sort of thing? Uh, unsavoury. Mm. I think um, we have uh, human, but be- no two human beings are the same. So we're always going to have different values, yeah, different ideals, and there's no right or wrong. And yeah. that's, I guess, that's why there's different political parties with different mm. um, political policies. Yeah. And we gravitate and, you know, look for someone who, I guess, represents our, our values. But one thing I think needs to be common across everything is that um, we still work together and we respect each other. And I don't know that there could be any winner if we are deliberately, what appears to me, designing policies that's going to create an us-first-them mentality. Yeah. Um, I can't think of there be any winners in society when that happens, and that's what appears to be happening. That's, and that seems to be gear up, you know, you see that... A lot of, a lot of. I mean, elections are never sort of fought on the grounds of too much integrity. It's, it's always, it's populist. always, about, it's always about being populist. You know, the, there's always the trolls. There's always, it's, there's all this sort of stuff going on, and then we're in the middle of it. We're, you know, about a month out from the election, and uh, it's getting, it's getting closer and closer. And then you, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. But you know, you sort of shake your head. And you just got to grit your teeth, get on with it, and do the best that you can with, the, with what you you know what you get dealt. I guess at the end of the day, the sooner um, May nineteen comes around, the better. We can all get on to life for what is it, another three years? Yeah, exactly. And um, it's it's never and never say never in this uh, in in politics. Or anything can happen. Still, um, yeah. So 
but I thought that was just quite sort of crazy. And you know, other thing we've spoken about this on the previous podcast. A lot of the other things that are getting attacked that the retirees are going to miss out on, and um, and that sort of thing. I mean, property. It's certainly it's always a, a viable. You know, you know, you've got your your bricks and mortar type investment. People physically see it, and there's a lot. There's a fairly high percentage of Australians that see. Uh, real estate for what it is. It is an investment that traditionally goes up in value over time. Um, there will be times where it does pull back, um, but traditionally goes up uh, over time, and that's why it's always been uh, considered, you know, a mainstream type investment for for the Australian people um, in investing in Australian property. So, um, yeah. Any, anything else that you wanted to talk about while I think of something else? <laughs> oh, and property will always be popular, yeah. I think. Um, Australia and arguably any any other country, you know, where uh, um, the Victor Law Mower and the Hills Horse Clothes aligned as, you know, part of Australia's DNA. That's why we love love property. But also without property investors, um, how do we continue to supply shelter for our ageing and growing population? Um, official, you know, government statistics say that less than 2% of dwellings constructed each year are funded by a state or a federal government. Mm. Um, round figures, um, 70% of all dwellings are owned by the occupant. So that means there's 28% other properties that each year we need to supply this 28% of the market mm. that are funded by the everyday Aussie mum and dad property investor. So if we don't encourage that as our population continues to grow, and as I said, you know, get, get older, um, where does the supply of the, of the um, future property stock come from? Mm, that's right. Uh, I guess what's the what's your expectation? I mean, anything can happen, as you know. But what do you see sort of happening after the election with property prices? Um, let's say <laughs> we'll we'll start with okay for Labor getting. What do you think is going to happen over the next three to five years in property prices? Um, I think well, Labor made it clear if they get elected. Mm. Um, they will abolish negative gearing as we as we currently yep. know it, and it will only be available for somebody who buys a brand new property. Uh, on the new property, um, we we don't believe in buying them now, and we no. certainly won't be buying them in 2020. A well-chosen, established property, um, historical evidence has taught mm. us, um, will grow significantly more in value than any new property. So yeah. that, that's the first thing. But I think what we'll see initially, Tim, if Labor get in, there'll be... There'll be some people who bring forward their investment decision and look to buy that property before Labor's one January deadline. Um, so that'll actually well, that's create what some. They've announced the deadline, haven't they? they deadline. So that will create, um, you know, from May through to January, that'll create um, some extra buyer activity, um, which which obviously puts pressure on prices. Um, yeah, what then? What happens after that? Look, it's a bit of a lottery, um, really. There's lots of uh, dooms doomsayers uh, saying that property prices mm. will crash. Uh, I'm not in that camp um, no, at I'm, all. I'm sort of not in that camp myself. Um, I think, yeah, I think depending on the understanding of, of what happens, I mean, we see different doomsday predictions and 80% of those don't really come true when you look at the history of what, what happens in the in the world. So to say that's going to be completely, you know, a, a tank, it's, it's Well, negative gear is a tax to... policy. 
And yeah. at the end of the day, there are a lot more uh, things that have a bigger exactly. influence on a property market than a tax policy. Stamp duty is a tax policy. Um, you know, you, you tinker with stamp duty and, and it can um, have a short-term impact on property prices up or down, mm. depending on how you tinker with it. But over the course of time, mm. um, a buyer of a property, whether you're a first-home mm. buyer, an upgrade or an investor, if you want to buy, you've got to deal with the circumstances you've got. So mm. um, I don't think it will have um, a big impact. Um, there's, you know, um, what if Labor don't get in? You know, what will mm. happen then? Um, business as usual, you know, we're, we're stuck with the same tax policy we've had the last 100 years um, and life goes on. Well, I mean, not really a prediction really, but something that's always a possibility is with the, with the capital gains uh, laws changing for investors we're not going to see holding periods longer than than what we're getting at the moment i think from what just just from what i'm thinking is that um for whatever reason people will see okay if i hold a property for 20 years i'm, I'm going to give away a lot more tax than than otherwise so if i if i sort of hold it for a certain number of years i'm going to get a better better outcome so i think there might be a bit of that that does happen we, we don't we don't know it yet but that's just a sort of a prediction for me with that one that the, the whole times aren't going to be as long yeah i don't know i mean um uh, you only pay capital gains tax if you sell don't you that's right um for, personally i think it's an inefficient but yeah um, i guess uh, ridiculous yeah, tax but if, if you don't sell you don't you don't pay yeah. um and there's no law that says you have to sell mm. you know at some point in time as we as we get older and if we're looking to exit the workforce we mm. need to find a way to get our hands on some cash if yeah. we're not if mm. we're not going to be uh um, earning a salary to do that, um, mm. but doesn't mean you necessarily have to sell an asset. And capital gains tax—you're the tax expert, Tim, not mm. myself. But um, my understanding it's calculated based on your salary in the year that you dispose of an exactly. asset. Exactly, it's yeah. not averaged out. And obviously, if you if you sort of let's say you make a, a two hundred thousand dollar capital gain currently, it might be a hundred thousand dollars of taxable income. One hundred and fifty is a lot more than a hundred in that scenario and there's a lot extra tax given what the policy could change and then you know the grandfather of laws means all these properties predate that will probably still get the 50 percent discount and then the other ones after that date will get 20 so there's a lot of different things to that are going to come into play down the track if they make changes like this too mm. it would be scary for me if investors in property started um, buying property with a i'm going to sell in seven years or i'm going to sell in eight years um, That's if, if it's become a good investment. Obviously, if it hasn't sort of, if it hasn't done anything in seven years, why would you, you might uh, hold on to it for longer? Yeah, yeah. It'd just be, yeah, it's it's one of those things that people will get um, get themselves or could get themselves into that mindset yeah. of um, I don't want to hold it for a certain period of time because they think in their mind that's not a good decision. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden they get to seven or eight years, and um, what happens if that particular year, you know, like we've we've just seen Sydney go backwards 10% the last 12 months what happens if their 7 or 8 years was up now you know would you, yeah. would you still be yeah. selling now um, yeah. so yeah I think there's a lot more to it than there's a lot to it definitely yeah. a lot to yeah. it there's, yeah there's or conversely what if they sold in, that Sydney property they sold in 2012 because the Sydney market had done absolutely nothing for 9 years mm. what happened in 2013 yeah. it started to boom so yeah. a lot of considerations but yeah. I think um, with with selling property um, unless there's a uh, big bunch of information that really concerns us that a market's going to lose significant value. Mm. My personal um, you know, view of property is um, don't sell, you know, yeah. for, for maybe forever. Well, it's, a, it's, a long, it's a long-term strategy. Mm. Maybe forever. But if, if there comes a point in time when the only way I can get my hand on some cash is to sell the property asset, 
then, then maybe my strategy there involve, revolves around taking a, a year off work where my taxable income is zero and therefore my capital gains tax would be, would it not be zero as well? Yeah. If my marginal tax rate in that year of selling is nothing. Hmm. Yeah, obviously that's usually a good strategy anyway um, to, to do that, but obviously you want to have the, the lowest income possible as well, if you, yeah. especially if you're staring at a capital gain. I mean, I've reviewed jobs recently where they've had the property in the 90s. You know, you know, can imagine what the the four times that does to your your, your tax bill. So yeah, and it would just be worse uh, if 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 the rules weren't what they were. You know, could could have been worse sort of thing as well. Yeah. We'll help them find the right asset, and you can help them work you can out help the back with the end. Tax. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave exactly. that to you. Yeah, that's that's a, certainly a fair call. Certainly a fair call indeed. Um, I guess we what um, did have something else. Did have something else. Yeah, I guess we've uh, different parts around Australia, is anything that's sort of standing out as to, um, I, I guess part of your job I've seen too, uh, especially um, Simon back um, when we're sort of going through different governments, uh, predicting, uh, I guess, good locations based on possible approvals to different projects and, and sites like that. And then um, when those things don't happen, that that area doesn't flourish or I've seen this um, sometimes you are taking a little bit of a gamble sometimes with information that you're getting and and then not it's not sort of always coming to fruition um, yeah investing in anything yeah um, you know is a so you're being a bit predictive but you know obviously a lot of the time it can come off but then there's, there's those times as you know that it probably doesn't well, that's the nature of investing isn't yeah. it you know um, yeah. Uh, the Being term speculator gets thrown around a lot as a, as a negative term, but at the end mm. of the day, we're all making a decision to put an amount of money into something yep. in the hope that that something becomes a greater figure down the track. That's speculating, is it not? Yeah, you know, yeah, unless yeah. we can be given a guarantee, term deposit, mm. whatever that's worth <laughs> these days. Um, it's all speculation, but we have a keen interest in, in the economic side of things because that, that tends to have the biggest influence on a property market. Yep. Um, now, an approval for a major project, um, you know, can create a lot of jobs, which obviously has a positive impact um, on a local economy. But we'd never make a decision to invest in a location that was wholly and solely reliant on one big project going ahead. Well, it's a whole project, bunch yeah. of information. Um, the broader economy, we need to be very comfortable with first and foremost. Things have got to add up, is what you're saying, to a degree as well. The economy's got to be there, but the economy's got to be there plus you've got to see enough when it comes to things like projects yeah it can't just be one big project you've got to have obviously multiple and what's more important on. than the economy of today when mm. we're looking to invest is the economy of tomorrow so that is the speculation stuff that's a, that's having a deeper understanding yeah, yeah. of some decisions that have happened behind the scenes that are going to have an impact um, on that location's economy in future years um, there's no economy stays strong forever you know no. sydney's strong today but it wasn't strong five six seven years ago mm. um last time i was on here we spoke about hobart that was in recession uh not long before we started investing there um so if we invested in in hobart based on the economy at the time well you just wouldn't do that it was weak but we invested there because we were confident that that economy was going to improve which it did do and the property market followed it mm. Yeah, it had the characteristics, and you obviously saw something, and and, and obviously you've uh, invested in that particular area, and it's done very well. And now, it's fairly well priced in in a lot of areas in in sort of Hobart there. But 
when, when they sort of go through that process, do you ever see sort of a double sort of, is there many circumstances where you see it continuing to grow once it sort of had its growth, then it does flatten out for a while, or either flattens out for a while and then goes up again or... Yeah, um, uh, there's no limit on how long an economy can continue to grow yeah, for, yeah. Um, but history would suggest there is a limit on how long a property market can continue to grow for. And the best example of that, modern day example of that, is, is, is Sydney. Um, its property boom started with its economy going from weak to progressively improving, um, but now the Sydney's in a downturn, but the economy is you know stronger now than what it's ever been. If you haven't got a job in Sydney today, you, you just you just don't want one. You're not looking hard enough. Um, yeah. So why property cycles have a limit, and usually it's sort of two to four years, is because buying a property is something that we don't do very often. You know, yeah. the family home. You know, once we've bought that family home, we're going to be pretty content for uh, many, many years. Um, so that's you know there is a limit on property growth cycles for sure. So, is there any comment on that sort of thing, Brian? Um, no, look, I think Hobart is a, is a great example that um, for the markets that we're looking to invest in, just going back on what you were talking about a couple of minutes ago, um, that there was no one one reason that we identified Hobart. Um, there's no one reason that we would identify any market, whether it be a, a particular industry or a particular project. Um, there needs to be a, a whole lot of boxes checked and, and things pointing in the right direction um, to get us to, I suppose, identify a, a particular market. Um, and then, yeah, with, with the likes of, of Hobart at the moment, um, you know, it went from strength to strength pretty quickly. Um, I, was, I was on, you know, literally buying properties there every every week for a, a couple of years um, for our clients and it, it progressively got harder and it got harder quickly. Um, I had a, had a pretty good run there for about 12 months before the, um, the general public and the media people picked up on, on what was happening um, but then not too long after that we'd sort of we'd sort of left but even even today in, in Hobart um, you know I still keep in touch with sales agents in Hobart um, and they're be, saying yeah. you know good good quality properties priced correctly um, you know they'll sell within 24 to 48 hours multi-offer situations um, you know even though you're seeing a lot of information in the media that um, you know oh, Hobart's starting to cool it's, it's still going up in value um, it's not going up at the rate that it was two years ago yeah. Um, and I suppose that that then flows into what you were just talking about with Simon about um, a particular market having that sort of two to four year period. Um, now that's not to say that it it will you know how long it starts to flatten off for, and then it might pick up again in another three, five, seven years. But mm. um, that's what property markets do all around the country. Mm. Um, and there's there's no you know it's gonna it's it's stopped on the the 16th of April, so it's gonna start on the you know the the 27th of January in you know, yeah. 2021. It doesn't doesn't happen like that. So this part of the world, Brisbane, that we live in, Brian, um, what, what do you think about uh, living here? You've, you've obviously lived here quite a lot. Uh, what, what, how do you sort of view Brisbane as a city to live in, first of all, and I guess as an economy and, and as a world city and I guess coming back to real estate? Yeah. Um, oh, look, for me, I, I love living in Brisbane. I've got a, a very young family um, and it's it's great for us. You know, we've got um, extended family in and around the area, the lifestyle, the um, the weather, all these sort of things. You know, it's it's great for, for being outdoors. We, we love the outdoors. Um, there, there is a part of me that would uh, would love to love uh, live in um, live in Melbourne with the, the level of AFL that's just consumed down there. <laughs> but um, yeah. with, uh, yeah, with the, the likes of your... your 
online and, and Foxtel, we, we get more than enough here in, in Brisbane these days. But, um, yeah, just need to avoid the lines as much as possible. But um, from, <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> from, from look, from a, a property market perspective, um, we've even seen, you know, in the last you know, a couple of last 12 months, probably um, speaking with various sales agents and property managers. Um, we're starting to see a little bit of a tightening on rental returns in Brisbane. Um, we obviously had a, a significant um, supply market a couple of years ago, yeah. um, not just in, in apartments. You know, that's what's you know got a lot of airplay was our apartment market. But um, further out, you know, the, the Logans, Springfields, um, you know, North Lakes areas of the world, um, the housing market was, you know, the construction market was was really strong there as well. Um, we're not seeing, you know, you're, putting, you're not putting rents up by 40 or $50 a week, but um, talking to property managers, you know, it's the first time in a couple of years that you can start sort of saying to a tenant, hey, let's, you know, let's look for another $5, $10 a week sort of thing, which is, is good. It's heading in the right direction. Yeah, good. So I guess... Um as far as yourself, Brian, do you what do you do much networking? Do you get out there and sort of go to different networking functions and stuff oh, like that? Not, not as many as I'd like to. Um, my, my days are, are fairly filled. Um, obviously, a lot of my networking is done because because we're not just buying in Brisbane. Um, it's a networking for me involves a lot of networking with sales agents um, and building that rapport. Yeah, yeah to, to make sure that um, we can then get the best result for our clients. Um, I am on the the agent chapter for the REIQ. Um, so within the REIQ, they've got um, chapters, a sales agent chapter, a, a property manager chapter, and, and I sit on the buyer's agent chapter. Um, I am also the treasurer for REBA, who are the National Association for Buyer's Agents. So the, um, How's that? How do you... R-E-B-A-A. R-E-B-A-A. Real Estate Buyers Agent okay. Association. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm the treasurer there. So um, I have a lot of, I suppose, connections with buyers agents all around the country. And um, we've got our AGM this year in, in Melbourne uh, in August, I think it is. So looking forward to getting down there and, and catching up with buyers agents from all around the country. Um, that's, I suppose, a lot of the networking that I do predominantly. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's more of that relationship-based for me I definitely I mean I, I see a lot of passion in what you do I mean you seem to put your you really do seem to put your heart into it from what I can see from where I'm sitting so um, it's, it's quite uh, good to have that and I'm, I'm sure Simon's so glad he found someone like you to sort of complement propertyology and and sort of uh, move forward with um, things and get things continually to go in a good good direction um, so I guess one of the final things to talk about probably is um, I just want to get some comments regarding probably one of our most hated type of investments is units and apartments. Um, we're seeing Australia's got this massive problem of, of overpaying for units and has for a long time. Um, we're getting, there's just not, we're, I don't know too many situations that I've seen in the last 10 years where someone's actually made a capital gain out, out of selling a, a unit anywhere in Australia. Maybe Sydney, they may have made something. Uh, maybe Melbourne, if they did things in the, in the right sort of vein. But as a traditional rule, as a blanket statement, I just don't see that people seem to be overpaying off the plan, doing all those things, and then saying, oh, shit. It's lost 20% in value. Um, obviously, the people like the developers are making some money out of these situations. You know, they, 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 is that where all the money's going? Are they just stealing all the money? <laughs> you want to answer that? <laughs> um, oh, look, I, I think 
it, is, a gen- it is a generalisation, um, definitely, that, you know, apartments don't make money. Um, I think it goes back to, I think I said it half an hour ago, so um, it's it's about understanding the demographic in a particular location. You know, there's a lot of locations in Australia where um, the majority of the demographic in a particular location just don't want an apartment. You know, they've got mum, dad and the two kids or whatever the case is. And um, if you don't have the majority of the buyer pool, um, the, you know, the, the less buyers, potential buyers or you have for your property, it doesn't matter what you're selling in life, you know, the, the more buyers you have for your product, um, the more that's going to push the price up. Now, um, look, I, I can, you know, I, I probably agree that um, the bigger complexes and, and, you know, when you're buying apartments, it, you do need to be careful. Um, it's a, it's something that you come down to a very, having a similar product to the person next door to you. So um, if you buy a, an apartment in a block of 100, um, well, at any one time, there could be two or three of those for sale. So when you put your property up for sale, um, you've got 100 other properties in that same complex that are exactly identical. One of the same uh, street, yeah. Yeah, or in the same street. There could be you know hundreds and hundreds of them You know, in, in the valley alone. you know, We've got um, something like 150 or 200 going up across the road from us. There's another 300 down the other end of the street that are about to go up. So um, you yeah. know, there's, there's literally hundreds of them that are very, very similar products. Um, I suppose if if for whatever reason you identify that an apartment might be um, a better investment in a particular location, um, certainly you know having a smaller complex, um, you know lower body corporate, so pools and gyms, those sort of things, um, they will wear into your investment. Um, if you're looking at it for to live in yourself, and it's a um, you know you you want you want the gym and you want the pool, and we'll go for it. That's that's fantastic. That might be a great decision for you, but um, yeah. as an investor. Uh, yeah, there, there could be better opportunities out there, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Some some uh, good comments about that. That's, that's sort of his wheelhouse. Do you, do you think much about the same? Um, look, over the last probably 15 years, Australia's gone through a, a, an evolution where we've built a, an enormous volume yeah. of yeah. apartments that we have never, never seen before. Um, I guess that's mirrored what's happened in, in, in some other parts of the world, you know, prior to us, but it's mainly contained in Australia's biggest cities, our capital cities. Um, uh, there, there was, I mean, Sydney builds about 65% of its new dwellings each year are apartments, mm. not houses, you know, because it's landlocked. Yeah. Um, and people can't afford to buy a house in Sydney anyway. But um, even in Brisbane, over the last couple of years, the, you know, we look at the ratio of new houses built versus new apartments built and it's about 55 to 45 percent ratio so brisbane you know um, we're a lot smaller than sydney but that has been a um a big swing in the number of apartments that have been built um now in the next 10 years i suspect that the volume of apartments built compared to houses will be much smaller um, but there will be, you know, peaks and troughs we go through with the with the um, different dwelling styles there. Otherwise, the city just keeps going out and out and out, and that puts an enormous strain on infrastructure, especially public transport um, needs. I think something to keep in mind as well is developers don't build. Doesn't matter what they're building; they're not they're not building it for fun. Um, they're not building it for mm-hmm. off the off their own back. Um, as prices um, come down or soften in that apartment market, um, that just that's cut straight into their profit um, and their returns. Um, and if the profits aren't there, well, they're not gonna they're not gonna build it. You know, so it might mean they sit on a sit on a development site for longer, uh, and it might eventuate later or further down the track. Um, but yeah, it's it's certainly something to to keep in mind. Yeah, I mean, this sort of leads me to finish with sort of I see a lot of over capitalization when people do improve uh, when they try to improve their house. 
um, houses, units, but, but houses as well. Um, the spinning, you know, I, I saw some examples re, uh, recently where a, a client had to sell a, a property at Auckenflower at, 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 and lost $350,000. Mm. I mean, that's just ridiculous, don't you think? Ah, well, Auckenflower certainly is a, a aspirational location uh, to live in. Yeah. But then again, not many people can afford to buy a house mm. in Auckenflower. So we come back to the meat and potatoes um, scenario, don't we? Well, that Auckland flower is more the caviar. People might like it, but how often do you buy it? And there's just not many buyers out there that sort of price range. That's the that was the key in this situation. They'd spent, you know, spent like a new couple of new houses on the renovation, and then <laughs> expect yeah. it to be, you know. It comes back to the property owner's objective, though. If mm. if, if that well, particular person, the if they owned that to, property and they were living in it, yeah. the objective in this situation was okay. We bought this. We got. We paid a good price for it. We we seem, it's in Orkin Flower. We paid a good price, but we're gonna, you know, we're gonna spend all this money and we're gonna try to get this for it. But we end up getting this for it. The renovate, mm. the renovate and flip, I suppose, mm. um, term, um, which is is what you've spoken about there. You know, buy something, renovate it, sell it. Um, you only more often than not, you only hear the good stories. Um, there are more people that try and do that and, yeah. and fail um, like than, story, I guess. than <laughs> succeed. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's different if they were, um, you know, obviously the situation would be completely different if they were, you know, potentially overcapitalizing is, is yeah. the term you used, but it was for a long-term family home um, and that's the way they wanted the house, they wanted to live in it, that's the style of property they wanted. That's mm. completely different to um, I've spent all this money and now, well, does someone else see the same value that I see in it? Um, more often than not, no, that's the, the problem. Or does a valuer see the same value in it that I see? And again, can be often no. The property markets make more value for the individual asset than the renovation. It's, you know, the, the genuine success story of someone who spent, I'll make up a figure, $50,000 on a renovation and it's added $100,000 in value. There's not many of those. Um, not, not, not in 2018, 2019, no. You mean... Going back in years, and if you if you time the market right, like you know, back 15 years ago when things were going in Brisbane, I'm sure you've. But again, that's the market doing that. That's not the renovation. Yeah, that's that's because of the market, though. Exactly. They're not. You know, more often than not, you know, like that the example Simon said, where they spend 50, they make 100. um, Well, the market might have moved 50,000 dollars had they not spent anything. So, Mm. um, the 50,000 dollars they spent, that didn't really gain them anything no, no. you know it's it's the market that's mm. moved the extra 50,000 uh, hence the reason I'm not renovating my house <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we'll, we'll sort of wrap it up with that uh, any now you guys obviously do a fantastic job at propertyology if you want to get in touch in touch with Simon or Brian what's the best way to get in touch with you guys lots of good information Tim on, on the propertyology website www.propertyology.com.au uh, and we're fairly prolific on our Facebook page. Yeah, um, over t- 11 or 12,000 likes there on Facebook. Uh, always great articles. I think your wife does a big good job there or somebody. Does a fantastic job, yep. Um, keeps that up to date. So thanks again for coming in, Simon. I really appreciate uh, your time again. Uh, so close to the, to the last podcast we had. Doesn't seem that long ago, but there we are. We've had a nearly 18 episodes in between or something. So... Thanks very much, Brian. I wanted to get you in to obviously congratulate you on, on your your achievements uh, Thanks, at Propertyology Tim. and um, keep going, guys. Keep keep uh, bra- uh, blazing a trail in, in the buyer's agent space. Um, I want to keep talking to you guys, you know, every so often. So Sounds good. Okay. Thanks, go to it. Go the Lions. No, go the Tigers. <laughs> or, no, not the Pies. <laughs>